Reading this morning will be taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may be seated. Good morning and Merry Christmas Eve. I have to make a correction to what Joel mentioned at the beginning of the service. We actually have three sermons ready this morning. Michael told me that he had two ready to go, not one, but two, but I only have one. Uh, but thankful to be together this morning as a church family, especially as we think about Christmas Eve. We know that Christmas remembers and includes, involves a lot of different things. But first and foremost, it remembers and celebrates the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that Jesus was probably not born on December the 25th. I know how the holiday came into existence, the history of it in the 4th century A.D., but think about where we are today. There are so many people today who are thinking about Jesus who might not think about Him again until the spring, until Easter time. If the world is stopping and pausing to celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus Christ, my question is, why wouldn't we? So I appreciate Jeff leading us in some songs that remember the birth of of Jesus. These are not just Christmas songs, these are worship songs where we are worshiping Jesus. We are worshiping God for that glorious event. I appreciate Michael mentioning specifically the birth of Jesus in his prayer that he offered just a few moments ago, and I'm really excited to spend some time thinking about what we can learn from a passage of scripture that's so commonly thought about this time of year. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew the 2nd chapter. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be studying in the passage of Scripture that John just read for us in verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 12. There was a business that had an end of the year meeting. Of course, the owner of the business, the boss, was leading this meeting when all of a sudden an angel appeared out of nowhere. 
the angel approached the boss who was at the front of the room and told him that in return for his generosity throughout the year, the Lord wanted to give him a reward. He said he could choose of one of three things. He could choose to have infinite wisdom, infinite riches, or infinite beauty. So he thought for just a second. He finally responded to the angel that he would like to have infinite wisdom. The angel snapped his fingers, said done. The angel immediately disappeared in a cloud of smoke. Immediately, every single head in that room turned towards the boss. Turned towards the owner of the business. What's he going to say? What kind of connections is he going to make? What kind of insights is he going to give to us? What are going to be the first words out of the mouth of a man who has infinite wisdom? They were sitting on the edge of their seats just anxiously awaiting to hear what he was going to say. He stood up. He looked at his employees and said, now that I've been given infinite wisdom, I know that I should have chosen the money. But we know in reality, don't we? That wisdom is one of the greatest characteristics that we can have as Christians. In that fictitious story that we told just a moment ago, we realize that wisdom is so much better than riches. Ha- having wisdom is so much better than having beauty. W- what we gain from wisdom is so much more than what we can gain from anything else. There are a number of different passages that teach us that in the Bible. One of those is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13-15. through 15. Where the Bible says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing can compare with wisdom. Nothing can compare with the benefits that we gain from having wisdom and understanding. But we run into a question, don't we? What does a life of wisdom look like? How can we be wise? How can we become wise? How can we develop and maintain wisdom in our lives on a daily basis? As we read just a moment ago in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1, we're going to be focused this morning on a group of men who are called the wise men. Maybe the translation that you're reading out of uses the word magi. I believe when we look at the example of the wise men in Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12, we're able to answer this question that's up on the screen. I believe that the example of the wise men in this passage of Scripture teaches us how we can be wise today. How we can develop and maintain wisdom in our daily lives. Thinking about that, in this passage, I believe there are six questions that we need to reflect on. I believe in this passage there are six questions that we need to think about in order to gain wisdom. Question number one, who do we seek? Who do we seek? We said in chapter 2 and verse number 1, as we read just a moment ago, this is taking place after Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Notice the Bible says that the wise men from the east came to the city of Jerusalem. That word wise man, or maybe in your translation we said it could be the word magi, that is a very broad term that refers to a variety of individuals who studied things like astronomy, dreams, and magic. 
We don't know a whole lot about these wise men. Contrary to some stories that we tell around Christmas time, we don't know how many wise men there were. We just know that there was more than one since it's in the plural there. We don't know where these wise men are from. We don't know their nationality other than that they came from the east. More than likely, they had to travel many, many miles to come to the city of Jerusalem. When you look in verse number 7, Herod finds out when the star appeared, as we'll talk more about in just a moment, and he acts on that timing. In verse number 16, he went to the city of Bethlehem, sent soldiers to the city of Bethlehem to kill every male child under two years old. And so that tells us that they could have had a whole lot of travel time from the birth of Jesus to the time that these wise men came to Jerusalem could have been as much as a couple of years. They probably traveled a very long distance. We don't know a whole lot about these wise men. What we are able to be sure about though is their purpose in coming to Jerusalem. Notice their question in verse number 2 that they came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is He who has been born King of the Jews? The language there, the grammar suggests that this is something that they were constantly asking. It's not something that they asked one time, but something they were asking over and over again. Where is He who has been born King of the Jews? Jerusalem would have been a good place to start looking. Every other king in Israel had reigned in the city of Jerusalem. When you look at the United Kingdom of Israel at the time the twelve tribes were united together, the kings reigned in the city of Jerusalem. When you look at the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, their kings reigned in the city of Jerusalem. If you're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, then a good place to start would be Jerusalem. And I love the way that this text is worded, don't you? When you look at verse number 2, they're asking, where is He who has been born King of the Jews? They're not asking the question, where is He who has been born who will later on in His life become the King of the Jews? They're asking for a newborn King. They're asking for a King who is a baby. They're asking for a King who has been reigning from the time that He was born. How did the wise men know that the King of the Jews had been born? You keep reading what they say in verse number 2. They give you the reason that they know. For we saw His star when it rose and have come to worship Him. Remember, we said the wise men, the magi, would have studied things like astronomy. They would have studied the stars. They would have studied the sky. Perhaps they also had a good knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures. Scriptures like Numbers chapter 24 where Balaam is speaking by the Holy Spirit about the children of Israel. In Numbers 24 and verse number 7, he talks about a king of Israel who's coming, who's going to be high and lifted up. His kingdom is going to be exalted. Then you fast forward about 10 verses later in verse number 17, and we're given a promise that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The wise men in their study of astronomy combined what they saw in the sky with what they saw in the Scriptures. And they come to the conclusion that the King of the Jews has been born. They're looking for Him. They're seeking Him. They're searching for Him. When they're pointed in the direction of Bethlehem, as we'll talk more about in just a few moments, notice in verse 8, they were given the command to go and search diligently for the child. And that's exactly what they did. They continued searching for the child. Continued seeking after this newborn King 
until in verse number 9, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. They sought after the one who had been born King of the Jews until they found Him. And so maybe it causes us to reflect on this first question. Who do we seek? Maybe you've seen the phrase this Christmas season that wise men still seek Jesus. And that's so true, isn't it? Wise people, both men and women, seek after Jesus. In order to be wise, we must pursue Jesus. We must seek Jesus every day that we live in everything that we do. You know as well as I do, there are so many different things that we can invest all of our time, energy, effort, and resources into pursuing or seeking after. Wise people seek after Jesus. Shouldn't matter where we have to go. Shouldn't matter how long we have to be involved in that endeavor. Shouldn't matter how many people we have to talk to or how many questions we have to ask. Wise people pursue Jesus. Wise people seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Here's the first question. Who do we seek? The second question that we find in this passage is what do we worship? Go back to verse number 2 where they're constantly asking the question, where is He who has been born King of the Jews? We saw His star when it rose and we have come to worship Him. Their purpose in seeking after this newborn King, their purpose in seeking after the One who had been born King of the Jews was singularly focused. We want to worship Him. And that's exactly what they do. When you drop down to verse number 11, they saw the star resting over the house where Jesus was. Notice He's no longer in the manger. Now He's in a house. And in verse number 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary His mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. In that scene, they saw both Mary and Jesus. They saw both the mother and the child, but they only worshipped the child. They only worshipped Jesus. The word that's translated there for worship literally means, it's a compound word, it means to kiss towards something. It refers to having respect or reverence for somebody who you recognize as being greater than you and higher than you. Who has more authority than you do. It's the picture of prostrating yourself down on the ground. Falling down before this individual who you recognize as greater to either kiss their feet or to kiss the ground that they walk on. That's what these wise men are doing when they see the baby Jesus. They're showing respect for Him. They're reverencing Him. They're prostrating themselves. They're falling down on the ground because they recognize that this newborn is so much greater than they are. He's so much higher than they are as the one who has been born King of the Jews. When you think about this word, it could refer to them giving respect to Jesus as a political king. Like they would give respect to any other political king. Like the Roman emperor, for instance. But there also could be a deeper meaning here. That they're worshiping Jesus as a divine being, recognizing that He is the Son of God. So we ask the question, what do we worship? In order to be wise... We must choose to worship Jesus. Wise people worship Jesus 
And they worship Jesus only. In the last verse of the book of 1 John, that first letter that the Apostle John writes, it's chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I believe the reason that he closes out his letter in that way is because he recognizes how easy it is to allow other things to come into our lives and to dethrone Jesus. To dethrone Jesus in our hearts. To dethrone Jesus in our minds. An idol is not just something made out of wood or stone that you fall down before. An idol is anything that we choose to put before our relationships with Jesus. And so we need to do some reflecting. Do we have any idols that are present in our lives? What occupies that first spot in your mind? What occupies the first priority in your heart? On a daily basis, what is it that you're falling down before? What is it that you're worshiping? You're prostrating yourself before? What is the person, the event, the hobby, the job, the relationship that you are respecting and reverencing above everything else? If we're learning from the wise men, then we're going to learn to worship Jesus and to worship Jesus alone, to allow Him to occupy that top priority in our lives. Question number three, where do we look? When you look at chapter 2 and verse number 3, the Bible says when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. King Herod was the Roman appointed king over the territory, the land in which the Jews primarily lived. We could say a lot of things about King Herod this morning. We could say that he was very harsh, We could say that he was a great builder. He was great when it came to the economy. One thing we need to note about him in this passage is that he was a very paranoid ruler. He constantly thought and lived in fear of the thought of somebody overthrowing him. Let me show you how paranoid he was at one time. He got into his mind that his favorite wife, he had more than one wife, but his favorite wife and two of his sons through that wife were planning to overthrow him. He just got that thought in his mind and without asking any questions whatsoever, he executed them on the spot. That's how paranoid he is. And so naturally, when King Herod hears about the one who has been born king of the Jews, he's concerned. He's troubled. Here's a potential rival. Here's someone who could overthrow his reign, who could take over his kingdom. And so you notice what he does in verse number 4. This is the one who had been born king of the Jews. So he assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. These are the individuals who would have known the Old Testament inside and out. So he asked them a question. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The anointed one, the king, the Messiah. Where's he going to be born? They answered that question, verse number 5, by saying, in Bethlehem. And they support that with a quotation of Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. The last sentence comes from 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 2. Where's the Christ? Where's the King of the Jews going to be born? He's going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. That small village just six miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. A ruler is going to come from that city who's going to shepherd the people of Israel. In the same city that King David was born in, another king was going to be born. And he was going to guide. He was going to direct. He was going to lead God's people. While King Herod is certainly not a character that's depicted as being wise in this passage, When he's troubled, when he's anxious, when he's paranoid, when he has questions, where does he turn? Where does he look? 
He turns to the Word of God. He turns to the Scriptures. Do you think we can learn from that? Where do we look? Where do we look when we're troubled? Where do we look when we're hurting? Where do we look when we're anxious? Where do we look when we have questions about our lives? Wise people are going to take their trouble and questions immediately to the Scriptures. Because when we turn to the Scriptures, we're not always going to find the answers that we want. But when we turn to the Scriptures, I believe with my entire heart that we will always find the answers that we need. I believe what Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, that His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God, in the Scriptures, has given us everything that we need to live our lives. He has given us everything that we need to be godly people. You and I just have to make the decision to look there. To turn there. Especially when we find ourselves in the midst of trouble and anxiety and questions. When it looks like the world is collapsing around us. Wisdom means that we look to the Word of God. Question number four, where do we find joy? In chapter 2 and verse number 10, we read in verse number 9 that they came to the house where Jesus was. The star was over that house. And you see their response in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That is a statement that's very, very emphatic. It's not just that they rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly. It's not just that they had joy. The Bible says that they had great joy. When I picture the wise men coming to this house and recognizing this is where the newborn king is, I don't see them just giving a high five or patting each other on the back or giving a half grin, a half smirk, something like that. I imagine them barely able to contain their excitement. They're jumping up and down. They're yelling at the top of their lungs. Maybe they're giving praise and thanksgiving to God that they have finally found the one they've been searching for. They have found the one who has been born King of the Jews. What causes joy in the wise man? Drawing closer to Jesus and coming to the place where Jesus is. Where do we find joy? Wise men find their joy in Jesus Christ. In order to be wise, we're going to do what Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Now I recognize that there are occasions, there are relationships, there are circumstances that cause us to be happy in our lives. But we shouldn't find our joy in those circumstances, occasions, or relationships. Because when we place our joy in something physical, when we place our joy in something on this earth, it's always, 100% of the time, going to be temporary. However, when we find our joy in the Lord, that's something we're able to have always. That's something that we're able to have constantly. We'll say that's something we can have eternally. When you look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, when was the last time that this was true in your life? When was the last time that Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10 was true in my life? When was the last time that we rejoiced exceedingly with great joy at the thought of drawing closer to Jesus, coming closer to the place where Jesus is, drawing nearer to Him in our relationships with Him? Where do we find joy? Wise people find their joy in Jesus Christ. Then look at verse number 11. The fifth question, what do we give? When the wise men 
come to Jesus in verse number 11. Of course, they're falling down before Him and they're worshiping Him. But notice that they also gave gifts. That was customary back in this time. When you approached royalty, when you approached people who you recognized as greater than you are, you would bring gifts to them to show your respect. And that's what they're doing here. They offer Jesus three different gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. While we won't dive into those three gifts specifically, I think we do need to note that these gifts would have been expensive. Presenting gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus in this circumstance, in this context, would have been very costly. It would have cost them a pretty penny. But yet, those are the three gifts that they're willing to give to this newborn king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you continue reading this narrative in verses 13-15, through 15, those are probably the three things that supplied for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus as they fled to Egypt at the threat of King Herod. But consider the question. Question number five. What do we give? Wise people give Jesus everything. In order to be wise... We must be willing to give to Jesus, to lay down at His feet everything that we are and everything that we have. Can't help but think about what David says in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. When he says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Do we ever try to do that? Do we ever try to offer to God only those things that cost us nothing? We give to God what's left over. We consume it all for ourselves and then we give Jesus the crumbs. Wise people don't do that. Wise people don't give Jesus what's left over. And we're not just talking about money or resources. We're talking about time. We're talking about dedication. We're talking about our affection. We're talking about our intentions and our actions. Wise people don't give to Jesus the crumbs. Wise people give Jesus everything. They take everything that they have Recognize it's not theirs. They take everything that they are. Recognize it's from Jesus anyway. And they lay it down at His precious feet. And then finally, question number six. Who do we listen to? Going back to chapter 2 and verse number 8, when the wise men were sent by King Herod to Bethlehem, he said, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Of course, King Herod is not sincere in those words. He's not actually wanting to come and worship the one who has been born King of the Jews. He wants to know who this king is. He wants to know exactly where this king is located so that he can get rid of him. So that he can kill him. We find that in verse 16, that when he found out he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. He has no interest in worshiping Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. But yet he gives the command, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is because I want to worship him too. But then you skip down to verse 12. After they spend time with Jesus, they worship Jesus, they offer Jesus gifts, the Bible says that the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Here you have two different Commands, two different demands, two different expectations. You have King Herod on one side saying, when you find him, come and tell me. Then you have God telling them in a dream, don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him where Jesus is. The question is, what decision are they going to make? 
Who are they going to listen to? Who are they going to obey? They have King Herod on one side and God on the other side. Whose voice are they going to heed? You look at the end of verse 12. When they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. When faced with the decision, are we going to listen to Herod or are we going to listen to God, they decided that they were going to listen to God. Who do we listen to? In order to be wise, every single day we must make the conscious decision to listen to Jesus. Wise people listen to the voice of Jesus above every other voice that's present in our world. That's how God speaks to us today. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. You go to the verse right before it, God's spoken to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. The question is, are we listening? When we have a message from the world on one side, and we have a message from God on the other side, who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to obey? Wise people will seek to listen to and obey the voice of Jesus above every other voice that exists. The title of our lesson this morning, Wisdom from the Wise Men. I believe when we look at their example in Matthew 2, verses 1-12, through we're able to provide a solid answer to this question. How can we be wise? How can we live lives that are defined by wisdom? What does a life of wisdom practically look like? Are we willing this morning to make this message personal? To make application in our lives? To make application in our hearts? Who do you seek? On a daily basis, what or who are you pursuing? Are you pursuing after Jesus? Are you pursuing the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Or are you seeking, pursuing something else? What do you worship? What is it that you're falling down before? Do you worship Jesus and Jesus alone? Or have you allowed some idol to be constructed in your life? Have you allowed some idol to dethrone Jesus in your actions and in your decisions? Where do you look when you're troubled, when you're hurting, when you're anxious, when you have questions? Do you turn to the Word of God? Or do you turn to some other source? Where do you find joy? you find joy in occasions and circumstances and relationships? Or do you rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I will say, rejoice. What do you give? Do you give to Jesus the scraps? Do you give to Jesus the crumbs? Do you give to Jesus what's left over? Or are you willing to take everything that you have and lay it at His feet? Who do you listen to? When you have a message from the world on one side and a message from Jesus on the other side, which voice, which message are you going to claim? Wisdom all comes back to one idea. And it really all comes back to just one person. And that's Jesus. If we want to live, not just in this season, but in every season, with the wisdom that is so precious in the Scriptures, then let's do all that we can to grow in our relationships with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we can help you to do that this morning, that's what this invitation is for.
Just come forward as together we stand and sing.